Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Nethling, coming to you from Roswell, Georgia. The goal of this podcast, as always, is to bring topics and guests that will empower you to grow as a confident leader and take your business or your life to the next level. Today, I'm very pleased to have my guest, Tyler Pygett, and we are going to talk about the importance of clear vision in business and life. So please welcome Tyler Pygett. Hey, Tyler. Hey, Vicki. Thanks for having me. So uh, you probably want to know a little bit about Tyler. So let me tell you a little bit. Tyler says he likes to mix some complex problems, teams of amazing people and technology. And that is really where all of his experience shines over the past couple of decades. He is a creative problem solver motivated by long-term vision and the impact that can be made is really what gets him excited. He admits that he's a bit obsessed with goals, cycling, his family, golden retrievers, and being near the water. We have a lot of things in common. (laughs) Tyler grew up a CPG brand up and down the West Coast from brand building to distribution. And he founded a marketing agency that has had a 75% growth rate year over year for the past six years now. Again, we're going to talk about the importance of vision in business and life. And, And I think that's something that even whenever you're in the corporate world, which I was for many, many years, they, they come up with projects, they come up with ideas, but there isn't always the vision. And when you yeah. try to ask people, well, what's your vision? You know, as a project lead, I, I needed to know their vision so that I could make sure that the project stayed on track. And it's yeah. a difficult thing for people. So before we get into the meat of all this, we're going to do the easy question. I always ask everybody, what part of country do you call home? I love it. I'm on the other side of Georgia. I'm over in Washington State in the Pacific Northwest. Ah, that is a beautiful country. When I was working with UPS, I had two years where my territory was California, Oregon, and Washington State. And just such a beautiful area. And I love well watching. It's gorgeous. (laughs) <laughs> it's gorgeous in the summertime. It's a little wet and dark in the uh, in the wintertime. <laughs> yes. I'm originally yeah. from Pittsburgh, and um, it okay. did remind me a lot of Pittsburgh, or totally. even Erie, Pennsylvania is probably more close to how yeah. it is. Yeah. Kind of great yeah. times. I love it. So one of the things in your bio was that you do Ironman. So what has 
racing Ironman taught you about building a business? That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's a lot, actually, it's funny. There's a lot of uh, similarities of endurance sports to business um, because, you know, when you're, setting out to do an Ironman, at least for me, um, it's like an almost an impossible task to finish, mm -hmm. you know, that many events. And so for those listening, it starts with a two and a half mile swim. Then there's a 108 or 112 mile bike ride after that finished with a, with a marathon. So 26 and a half miles or 26.2 miles. Um, and so probably we just lost half the listeners cause they think I'm a complete crazy person <laughs> at this point, but which is probably true, but, um, so I, I, as far as kind of just like little kind of, I suppose, nuggets, if you will, to pull out of kind of like training for an Ironman and then performing, if you will, on the day of the event. Um, if you, if people have spent time in physical fitness or cardio or whatever you'd want to call it, you know, not every day feels great. You know, mm -hmm. not every day when you're jumping in a pool at 4am to then follow it up with a three mile run or whatever you are doing to try to do, you know, two a days or whatever. There's some days where it's like, oh, this sounds super great. I can't wait. It's great to have space or whatever. And then most of the days are a little <laughs> bit of a grind to trying to like, you know, show up every day and, and perform and, and build the, build those reps so that you're going to be able to make it on the, on race day. Um, and I would say the similarities between that and generally in business, especially when you're kind of you're growing your own thing or having your own vision in it, um, there's a lot of days that are really kind of mundane and mm -hmm. maybe would be classified as kind of challenging or, or difficult. Um, and they're not all this, the funnest thing on the planet, you know? And so um, I'd kind of, those are probably the two biggest ones, you know, you could even go to there's injuries sometimes within a training program that you're going to run for, mm -hmm. you know, eight, nine months and to get to a final, to final destination there. Um, there are injuries you have to overcome, which is mm -hmm. very similar to setbacks in business where you've got to figure out how you're going to make it work and show up the next day and something might hurt or nutrition <laughs> might be bad or your bike might break hundred miles in or whatever, you know, the things are that cause you to kind of derail, if you will, from, from your training are very similar to what mm -hmm. you know, often people go through in business. And it doesn't mean you have to be a founder or a CEO or whatever, really anybody in any work environment, it's called work for a reason. Work is generally challenging. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'd say there's a lot of similarities between the two. Um, I probably could go on forever because I've done a lot of business and a lot of Ironmans. Yeah. <laughs> so I've kind of connected a lot of dots with them. Uh, you know, we could probably do a two-hour segment just on that. I, um, a couple of things that come to mind. One, I had one of our um, Toastmaster leaders gave a whole presentation on his uh, the tour de force and how it's tied to leadership. The race itself, running the race, is so tied to being a leader. You know, and the yeah. different aspects of it and. And I, I think, you know, what you were saying about the um, mundane and things, you know, and especially now as people are reevaluating whether or not they want to go to the, what they were doing before and, and maybe trying yeah. something new. And as they're looking for something new, they do tend to think, well, I want to do something that's sexy or fun and, yeah. and, and not, and forgetting the fact that you don't get too great unless you do hard. Yeah. <laughs> you you have to do the hard work. You have mm -hmm. to do the the slight edge, the mundane, the repeated yeah. tasks, those small things that will get you to that great, get you to that point where you can have fun or 
enjoy things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so lots of lots of lessons. I definitely could do a whole podcast on that. Totally. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually had a conversation recently to connect a recent story to it with uh, a friend of mine that's become a good friend that would be considered a quote unquote influencer on mm-hmm. Instagram. So like half a million followers gets paid to advertise all those kinds of things. And it was an interesting conversation because I would say most people view like that type of an individual as, oh, they've got it all. Yeah. And it's such a great, you know, that's so cool. They can just make a post and then sell a bunch of stuff from it and all those types of things. But and no one ever think about like the other side where, yeah, that's really fun. But at the same standpoint, like the consistency that's required to get to that and the, mm-hmm. you know, hey, we're driving here. Let's pull over and take a photo to do that or whatever the, you know, uh, landscape or the thing is that you're trying mm-hmm. to promote. And it was an interesting conversation about the difficulties, even in a, to use your word, kind of like the sexy career or whatever. And it's not all exciting. It's, yeah. I would say there's still a, a mix of things that are, are difficult and challenging. You have to kind of push through uh, to the, to the things that are fun. And, and there are lots of fun things as well in that, but it wasn't just re- recalled that of a recent connection with someone that you would probably put in that category. Yeah. Um, it was really interesting to me. So, yeah. So we talked about this in the very beginning, but explain to the audience why having that clear vision is so very important to your success. Yeah, I would say like the like most people are activated by doing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you kind of want your punch list or your task list and how can I check all those things off? And, um, and rarely do people kind of sit and make sure, you know, I might call that um, the the speed or velocity or how fast they're moving towards something mm-hmm. um, is checking things off of the task list. Yeah. But rarely people spend enough time on the direction. And I would argue that direction is more important than speed. Mm-hmm. And so um, since that's kind of how many, many of us are wired is the kind of like that, hey, I just want to run and I'm just going to go accomplish things and, and check things off my list and have that meeting and all those things. If it's a couple millimeters off, you're going to end in the wrong spot. Everyone yeah. probably recognizes if they've missed an exit or something like that, following yeah. directions, and they drive an hour in the wrong direction. Oh man, you're going whatever seventy miles an hour, and all of a sudden, it's <laughs> add three hours, you know. And so, um, I kind of use that, I guess, as a funny or po- poke fun a little bit about that example, but um, the importance of spending the time to have that clear vision of, hey, where are you going? What does the outcome look like that you're really excited about? Um, it's really important because then you're headed in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But but I'd also argue that that clear vision can act as a filter um, as you're making decisions along the way. Yeah. So it could be as simple as, do I take this kind of a job or that kind of a job? Or it mm-hmm. could be as simple as, you know, do I go to this meeting or do I go to that meeting? You know, or do I take a meeting with this type of a person doing this service or, or not mm-hmm. um, based on, hey, this is the direction that you're heading. So I feel like at least in my life, it's helped me be able to make decisions based on, hey, this is the direction I'm going and will this help me get there or will it not? Um, and, you know, mix all that with, you know, empathy and, and, kindness and all those types of things. You're not trying to bull people over to get there. Um, but I think it's helped me a lot in the past as far as just making clear decisions that help me get to where I want to go versus just kind of whatever's in front of me, which I've seen a lot of people that that's kind of how they function. Mm-hmm. Um, so that clear vision just helps you in the right direction, um, which is important as well as helps you make decisions along the way that help you kind of go in that, in the direction you're wanting to go. So, yeah, it helps with battling the shiny object syndrome yeah but also you know a lot of times people hesitate to tell people no 
because if they don't have a clear vision, a good reason, if they can't say, well, it's no because, then the person they're saying no to might feel it's no because me, you know? Yeah. And uh, so having that ability to say, you know, this is, this is my vision, this is where I need to go. And, and we just aren't aligned. It has nothing yeah. to do with what you're trying to do. It's just, there's not that synergy here. Totally. No, hundred percent. Yeah. So how do you maintain the right direction and accomplish your goals? You know, how do you set up that GPS? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great question. There's a couple of different ones. Um, I'm at the end. I know we'll kind of jump. Hey, how do you follow Tyler or get in contact with me? I actually did this LinkedIn post yesterday and it was talking about my obsession with metrics and goals and writing things <laughs> down and tracking things. Um, and I'm probably overly obsessed with it. You know, in, in that example, I kind of give the, Hey, I can tell you how much money I spent on groceries in, you know, July of 2009, because I'm just kind of that person. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I track all the mileage on my running shoes and like all the weird things that I do, um, which is comical and everybody has weird quirks. And so I just kind of, I just track it up to there. I just kind of rack it up to that. Um, <laughs> but I think one of the things that that's helped me with though, is it's helped me track, um, so like there's, um, I keep like a, a, a notebook piece of paper. What is it called? Um, it's a grid, uh, graphing paper. It's a piece of graph mm -hmm. paper. Mm -hmm. And on the columns, I've got, you know, the main kind of activities I want to do each day that help kind of set me up for whatever I want to go. And so I'll just give an example of personal life on that. I probably got 12 of them that I try to do every day. It's as simple as journaling and spending time meditating and mm -hmm. watching the th certain foods that you eat, sugars, alcohols, whatever, uh, exercise. But I have one of them on there that's intentional time with my kids. Yeah. So I have two teenage daughters and my desire is to have a friendship with them when they're 25, when they're 30. Um, and so I think, I believe that is happening and for the last five years and the next five years of having intentional time with them. And so that can be as simple as, you know, before they, they fall asleep after I do, they probably tuck dad in at this point, but um, <laughs> before I go to sleep, I guess I'll, you know, go sit on the bed and talk to them for five minutes or I'll, you know, grab one of them. One of them doesn't have a driver's license. And so I'll, I'll grab one of them. We'll go run to the store or whatever. It's super simple, mm -hmm. but very intentional. And so by having, so tracking that back to making sure I'm tracking that and keeping track of that goal, it helps me go, oh, this is a priority and I need to try to do these each day. So that's as simple as like a personal life type of a thing. If we kind of move to um, professional life and, and more kind of uh, business oriented, um, there's a bunch of different frameworks for these types of things. One of the ones that I've recommended to people is kind of studying EOS or entrepreneurial operating system. And um, Vicky, are you familiar with, with EOS? I have not. You haven't heard it? Okay. So it's like a, a framework, if you will, for how to run a business. And there's lots of different kind of like offshoots of it. But kind of the core thing with that is they walk you through what they call a vision traction organizer, a VTO. Mm. And so part of that is really going, hey, where do you want to be in 10 years? Don't spend a ton of time on it. Just give a number, $10 yeah. million, $100 million, whatever it is. And then what's your three-year picture? It's close enough where you can kind of go, what's life look like in three years? Mm -hmm. Then it says, what's your one-year plan? So then outline, what are you trying to accomplish this year? And then it breaks it down into each quarter. And so it's really like a very clear stair step to, hey, your ultimate vision is this. How are you kind of reverse engineering the yeah. ability to do that? 
Um, so then there's tons of, you know, scorecards and metrics and all sorts of things that go with that. But just from a generalization of, you know, keeping track of that, I think that's really important to mm -hmm. be able to reverse engineer where you're going and then keeping those kind of finite metrics along the way. And it looks different for everybody. Yeah. And you're going to probably, you know, people that aren't doing that now that want to, you're probably going to track the wrong thing or a little bit of <laughs> wrong variation for a long time. And you're going to keep tweaking it and eventually you'll go, okay, this is the metric that's actually really mm -hmm. helpful for me. And it's going to be different for each person. Um, some of them are similar. You know, if it's like, hey, it's a salesperson. Well, you need to have this many phone calls that translates to this many meetings that translates to this, this many closed deals. So that's going to be obvious, but some of them aren't as obvious. So mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of a, a generalization <laughs> of it. Well, for me and probably every project manager out there, it makes perfect <laughs> sense. It, sure. <clears throat> I think that's why being in business has been a nice fit for me because being a project manager for so many years, you know, I look at what is my outcome first and then I, yeah. re I reverse back. Well, what do I have to do? If I have to hit this date, when yeah. do I have to do this and this and this? And you have to have metrics and, and all those things to um, be successful. And yeah. <laughs> excuse me, you also have to be able to see, okay, you know, this is what I'm doing today. Where are the gaps? Yeah. Where are the opportunities? And I think in business, we, we need to think of that as well. You know, okay, this is what I did. Let's reflect on the year. You know, for me, it's mm -hmm. lessons learned. But so what was the year like? And, and where was, where were there bumps in the road that I could change? And yeah. where are there areas that I really need to beef up because they were so successful? And sure. that's in your social media in all the things that you do. So sure. uh, what you're saying makes absolute perfect sense to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when we talk about business and um, the success of a business, a lot of times the culture, all the time, the culture is important. And, and we know that it mm. takes five to seven years to change a culture. So how yeah. do you build that culture? Um, I'm sure tied to vision, but, um, and then now we have this remote yeah. group, these, these teams that are remote, you know, I'm, uh, I was a contractor just the last year and a half and I never met in person, my boss, yeah, never, totally. never once. And, and some of the things that you forget about as a leader that you need to think about is that connectivity to your remote team. So talk yeah. about that culture and, and how do we make that remote culture one that will be thriving? Yeah, it's a good question there. I would say there's two kind of uh, approaches to it because everybody's in a different, a little bit of a different environment, you know, and if you're a, a leader that is, that is maybe a founder or someone early in, in an organization or a small mm -hmm. organization, probably your culture is really closely tied to yourself as a founder mm -hmm. or as a CEO or, or whatever mm -hmm. that role is in a small company versus, you know, maybe another side is, Hey, they've, this company has been around for, you know, three generations or something. And, and it's kind of really like in, in the grain and in the, you know, the, uh, the nitty gritty of that organization. And it's built in there because it's been, yeah. you know, uh, multiple years and multiple debt generations. And so, um, my experience is most, I spent 15 years on the corporate side and I got to work in some of those. And 
they're sometimes they're really different difficult pro- probably for someone like me just because I don't necessarily fit in that space. <laughs> um, I can and I can discipline myself to fit in that space and lots of people do and that's awesome and I'm high-fiving them virtually right now. Um, but I would be more on the side of like a startup person to, to help develop culture and those types of things and a couple things that I've tried to kind of look for or, or think about is um, one is culture takes work. You know, it's it's not something you can really like abdicate or not think about and just hope it happens. You do have to be intentional. And so that's going to be, you know, hey, buying lunch once a month for your staff actually really isn't culture. Yeah. It can enhance it and can be part of it. But it, it's not that's that's not like just a hey, that's the action I took this month for being, yeah. you know, active in my culture. And so. Um, it takes work. And so really planning that out and thinking through it's part of that vision, a little bit exercise of, hey, what do I want the culture to be like? And um, one is, you know, if, if you're designing the culture, hey, what do you want to be a part of? You, mm-hmm. you probably want to design something that is going to bring you joy in some way, shape or mm-hmm. form, you know, um, versus something that's not and you don't really want to look forward to or something that doesn't make tons of sense. And so um, one something you want to be a part of, and then the other piece is how can like something you can invite somebody into, and so you always want to have like a culture environment where, hey, I can invite a new person, a contractor, so and so into an environment where they're going to feel safe, they're going to feel heard, they're going to be known, they're going to feel productive, like they're they've got what they need to succeed, um, and I've found that more people I would say leave uh, managers and they leave culture. Like those are the things that they usually leave. Most of the time they're fine with the tasks and fine with the projects and initiatives and things that they're pushing forward. And, but they're generally leaving because of a culture or a person mm-hmm. that there's outliers, of course, and, and there always is, but um, that's kind of what I've seen over the years. And so kind of looking at, you know, who are you, what do you get excited about designing something that you get excited to be a part of, and then something you can invite people into and then really thinking about what are those regular activities, touch points, things that you can do to maintain and to, to bring that culture into existence. So I don't know if that makes sense. There's a lot of different it, it pieces does. of culture. But. It does. The, um, the thing that struck me as you were talking is the fact that, you know, in a large company like I was in, there, there could be a great culture. But the people, that's where the hiring, I think, comes into play yeah. in the in the promoting. You know, don't promote somebody because they were really good at their job, because being a great manager, leader, means you've got to be a great people person yeah. to yeah. make sure that the culture is, is really um, able to survive and grow. Yeah. And as you said, people do, they leave for because they have a manager that's a jerk or they, you know, it's, it's not a culture they fit in, you know, not everybody will fit in to, uh, and, and when you hire people, you should think about that, you know, will you fit into my culture? Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think culture is fascinating. I think, you know, to follow up kind of with the remote side of it, I know that was part Mm -hmm. of the topic as well. And, um, remote is, in some ways, oh my gosh, it's overwhelming and this is really different. But then in other ways, it's the exact same thing. It's just a different um, kind of interaction. And so then you have to build things around it. And so, you know, the, I would say in an office environment, I'm going to go like kind of traditional, I'm just thinking open floor plans, if you will, and, 
you know, hey, I'm walking to the fridge or the kitchen and I'm going to grab a cup of coffee and there's three people I talk to and That's you're exactly able to right. start building culture that way. Or, hey, I'm going to walk down the street to a coffee shop or something and, hey, you want to go with me? And, you know, you're kind of building that um, just almost organically, really natural, yes, yes. but remotely, obviously that doesn't really work. And so mm. it just takes a lot more intentionality of how mm. you would design something that way. Um, and I've found remotely most of the time cultures built in through time. And so you have to spend time with people to kind of know them and to help them and to be a part of what they're doing. And so like in our organization that we've found that has helped is scheduling time into the week and into the month that has some of those culture building exercises mm -hmm. in them. And so, you know, it's an optional thing. You don't have to come. People don't have to participate in the same way that in an office environment, they could sit in their cubicle and not have any human contact and then and, and leave. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's mm -hmm. okay. Um, but there are lots of people that do want to engage in a culture. And so, you know, we, we started something a long time ago, we just call it happy hours. It might not be that groundbreaking for some people. Um, but we, you can't talk about work, um, in our happy hours and then you have <laughs> to play, you have to do something. So it's gotta be an activity. And so, I mean, we've done things from at the beginning of COVID, I guess it was way well into it. We did a, Hey, how are you going to pass out candy for Halloween, but you can't be within 13 or 15 feet or whatever the number was at that point. <laughs> and so then, Hey, you've got 13 minutes, go create something, come back and present it to the group. And so people would come back and, you know, have candy on a skateboard and one person, you know, had a, had a leaf blower and they put candy in it and then turn the leaf blower on it, flew it everywhere. <laughs> and so there's this fun, I mean, we all laughed and you kind of get to know somebody and how they function and a little bit more of them. And we've done virtual scavenger hunts in the Smithsonian because they have like this whole 3d thing you can go through. And I mean, so many things and it's a little bit funny, but at the same standpoint, when you're in, like, you can do a lot with zoom and with other app or other, you know, virtual kind of applications, you can break people into teams and groups. And, you know, it's a, a funny scenario. Some people are like, Oh my gosh, roll their eyes. Do you really have to do this? And you, you really get out of something, what you put in it. I believe that across Absolutely. everything, whether it's a, personal commitment in a community thing or a family or a work environment or a sports team or whatever it is. Um, and so if you want a healthy culture and that's what you want to be a part of, it, you have to also participate in it. And mm -hmm. so at the end of every happy hour, it's who wants to handle the next one. And so mm -hmm. we all rotate and only, we all take different kind of happy hours and we do that every other week. And then on the off weeks, we do a lunch and learn. Um, and then we do lots of different kind of connects from a department standpoint and not the entire company. Um, and, and I'm just talking about an individual tactic. You've got to have so many different things from communication and availability and all sorts of things where that makes those happy hours a success. Um, but I think a lot of it, and if just to take this away, it's got to be intentional because mm -hmm. you're remote, you have to plan things, you have to, you know, actually work ahead and it can't just be an impromptu thing. And, and there's nothing wrong with impromptu, but obviously when you're on, you know, in different States or whatnot, it's very difficult to do an impromptu type of a work mm -hmm. environment. So, um, anyway, those are a couple of ideas, a couple of things to think through around the remote side, and it'll be really fun to see over the next number of years, the kind of quote unquote manual that comes out around how to do that. Cause I think people are mm. really just still experimenting to try to figure out how does this work long-term. So. Yeah. You have to be, you have to be intentional. And, and I, and I think that is one of the things that even before we were, you know, having remote teams, it was difficult for some managers to do that non-work related relationship yeah. building. 
Yeah. And you have to, you know, that you can get people to do so much more when mm -hmm. you show you care about them, that you you're interested in what they're doing and they show interest in what you're doing. Um, and so to find some way to organically have that coffee chat yeah. every day with your, your manager, you know, even if it's only for a few minutes, but still mm -hmm. it, it's sometimes where you'll get some insights that you missed if yeah. all you're doing is putting out fires all day long. Yeah. I think you can connect so many of these things also back to many of the different topics we've covered because uh, I, I found at least in hiring, cause we are hundred percent remote. We started remote and I'd love mm -hmm. to say it's because I knew there was a global pandemic. <laughs> it's not, but um, you know, so we've hired lots of different people all, all over the U S and, and such. And, there's a difference between someone that wants to work remotely versus someone that works remotely because that's what's available. Those mm -hmm. are two different types of yeah. kind of mindsets and attitudes, and there's nothing wrong with or right with either of them. It's just that's what they per would prefer. Um, and a lot of that's because if you want to work remotely and you are good at it, you've probably figured out in your life other things to get the, whether it's time in person, like individual time in person. So you might have a stronger friendship group or community around you, or it's, you know, the, the after work things that you might want to do or activities or whatever the, the things might be. And so I think it's back to, you know, that, like that personal vision for you mm -hmm. and what do you want to be about? Some people mm -hmm. love working and working in an environment and they want to be around that. And so there's a chance that maybe you have to find a job or be part of an organization that's not hundred percent remote where you do get to be around mm -hmm. people in, in person. And again, there's nothing right or wrong, you know, no, there's pros and cons of all, you know, yep. but I think it does come back to the individual and the vision for their life and what they're good at and what they prefer and what they mm -hmm. get excited about. Um, so I'm just, you know, remote's not for everybody and it doesn't need to be. And it, you know, obviously there was a little bit of a, a forced activity for a couple of years in, in our, in our history, but um, yeah, anyway, it's a great experience. Yeah. I like it. I enjoy it, but it isn't for everybody. And so just yeah. for people just to know that it's okay if that's not your, that not really your jam and you want to do something different, that's okay too. <laughs> Years ago when remote was just being thought about in um, the company I was with, yeah. I was in a pilot for it. And there were people that actually, after a month or two said, I don't want to be in the pilot any longer. They yeah. needed to be in the office. They needed yep. to have that socialization. And um, it was, it was interesting because it, Everybody thought, oh, I, I, I have to do that. I could do that. And, and not yeah. everybody, you know, not everybody likes that. So totally. it's in interesting. I think that the hybrid environment for the workforce is probably something that will have a lot of people um, <laughs> weighing in on because it's probably the way that most companies are going to have to be. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it uh, you're probably talking about um, when it used to be called telecommuting, which was not <laughs> that long ago, but um, yes. now everybody says remote and you're like, totally there. It's been around for a long time. Yeah. Um, and I think that some people, like you say, are, they kind of adjust their lifestyle to it. Maybe they have an mm -hmm. office space at home or they rent an office, something like, you know, they've got, they've built a lifestyle for it. Mm -hmm. um, the hybrid environment is super interesting to me. I've not found very many organizations that actually do it successfully yeah. um, because I kind of think you're either remote or you're not. There isn't really an in-between because if you're in person and you have remote staff, you kind of have to treat everyone remote so that those remote people 
are still part of the culture, start part of the organization. And if you're all, you know, like that's it's it is an interesting dilemma. I think that people have to kind of figure out. Um, mm-hmm. And I think people will, and I think there are organizations that handle it well. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely it's still new for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's like you know you're on a conference call or video, but conference call where the person next to you, you would normally go into a big room, but it's much more efficient if uh, to have your computer and your screen in front of you. So you're sitting in your cubicle and the person there sitting, or you're in that conference room and everybody's trying to, but half half the staff's out and half the staff's in. It will be interesting. I I look forward to seeing what happens with it. For sure. So, we talked about culture. We talked about building business. We talked about how we need that vision and um, have our goals in mind. Once we have our vision, we really need to have marketing and branding, mm. and that is that are two, that is two areas that people struggle with. Mm. So, how important is it to create that great marketing and branding? Um, I guess, system, whatever you want to call it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole experience, you know, that's kind of like the, if you will, the storefront, right. You know, mm-hmm. if you kind of rewind a couple of decades and you didn't have the internet and you didn't have the digital space and, and it was, you know, oh, that looks like an interesting store based on the fact that it was the, the uh, displays and yeah. I'm forgetting the, the, the right next to the windows as you walk by what, the, what exactly that's called. I feel like there's a name for it, but um, yeah, so there's displays and that's kind of your storefront. That's your, mm-hmm. you experience your first touch points, if you will, with potential customers. And so, um, you know, the importance of the clarity to that has a lot of benefits to it. And mm-hmm. one of those is internally your, your organization and they, they're aligned with, you know, what they do, what they're doing, what they're selling, um, what they're about, um, you know, where, where they're trying to go kind of with that. Um, and then the other ones externally, obviously, where, you know, I can interact with a brand and I know what problem you solve and I know, oh, it's either going to solve a problem I have um, or it's not, or it's not the right time, or it's going to solve my friend's problem that they have right now that I'm, you know, remembering. And so the complexity you have in your brand message or your marketing message can be a real deterrent based on, you know, one is if you hit me a little bit wrong with it, I'm not going to remember it because mm-hmm. I don't understand it. Um, but really, there's a lot of challenges with that because I might not be your right customer, but I might know five that are your right customer. So you've got to actually have that messaging real clear to the spot where this is the problem you solve. And and people only buy things based on fixing problems. I mean, yeah. you buy really expensive cars. Well, you can buy a really cheap car and still drive it, but you're fixing a problem. That could be an internal challenge. You know, like, hey, I drive a nice car because I want to look good or whatever, and that's fine. But that's a problem or, or mm-hmm. something you're trying to solve, you know, for yourself. Um, and so everybody buys things for problems that, that they have. And so I think the more clarity you can have in your brand and marketing message towards that problem that is that you solve as an organization or as a company, the more benefit you're going to provide to your immediate customers. They're going to, you know, convert faster probably. But then there's that secondary layer that most people don't remember that's the, hey, if I talk to you about what I do, then you're going to maybe think about it for five people mm-hmm. that you remember that you're talking to over dinner or something like that. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden they talk about their challenge and you're like, hey, I know somebody. So I would almost think about it that way is how do you communicate to that next circle out? Um, and that's really what helps brands kind of 
you know, catch fire more quickly and, and extend, you know, past their initial circle of, of influence. So. Yeah, I think there's always, there, there are some marketing that they're trying to be more clever than clear. And if, if, if I don't understand it, I, I think that for me, the simple messages are the ones that resonate because I'll remember it. Yeah. You know, if I have to just sit and ponder on what the heck they were trying to say after that commercial or that, you know, ad goes by, I, right. I'm not going to remember it except for the fact that it, I, it was confusing to me, but I, <laughs> you know, some of the ones yeah. where you don't even know what product it was because it was so abstract, if you will. Right. Totally. Yeah. And I think that that's a hurt for a lot of brands. Like it's mm -hmm. not actually, it doesn't benefit them a lot. Um, so we could talk about messaging and branding and such for hours because it's another I'm podcast. passionate about it, but it's another podcast. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. So this is the last formal question. Um, then we'll go into rapid fire, but what advice would you have, um, would you give to your 20 year old self? Hmm. That's a good one. Honestly, I probably would say take more risks. Mm. Um, you know, I'd almost, uh, I like to use the phrase live beyond your means and I'm not talking financially, don't go out and get credit card debt and all that kind of stuff, but more so just, you know, challenge yourself, live beyond what you mm -hmm. are capable of doing now. I think most of us play it safe a lot. Yeah. And so, um, I would probably say I didn't really learn that till later, um, in, in my kind of working life at this point. And so, um, I would have probably taken more risks in my, in my twenties and advise people to do that. Um, and also go on more adventures, yeah, like that, yeah. that's something that people lose out on, I think. So, yeah. So the rapid fire is where we have a few questions to, um, give you to be able to answer quickly, top of your mind, no, cool. um, long answers, but what Love do it. most people you meet get wrong about branding? Um, they overcomplicate it. They use a lot of buzzwords and a lot of internal jargon um, that aren't actually talking to their customer. Right. Why do people miss the mark when they're marketing? <laughs> I think they don't take the time to really understand the customer's problems or pain points and the reasons why customers come to them. They just assume that they know. No more than the customer. Never good. Yep. Yep. What's the best piece of advice you ever received from another expert? Hmm. <laughs> it's probably has to do something with resilience and like perseverance through stuff that's tough. I don't, I don't know if like a specific quote or something that I go back to on a regular basis. It's more so the, um, you know, people that relate to you, I guess, or coaches and, and mentors and such in my mm -hmm. life that have related to where I'm at. And then, Hey, it's going to be fine. You're going to make it, you know, keep going kind of That's thing. Right. Um, because I think, you know, you can read a million books and talk to a million people, but everybody's scenario is a little bit different because everybody's in a little bit different situations in their shoe in, in their shoes, you know? And so, yeah, it's probably something around that resilience, term determination, I, keep going. I think that's great because, you know, in especially as entrepreneurs, it is that roller coaster ride and resilience is key. There are going to be yeah. times when it's hard and yeah. uh, there are going to be times whenever you're thinking you're in the top of the world. Totally. Yep. To ride that ride. Yep. So um, 
how can we make it easier for our customers to buy our product or service? Uh, a couple things. Uh, one is really an analyzing your buyer experience to remove friction. So where do people struggle or where, where do people fall off? You know, mm -hmm. where does, you know, is it difficult to find, you know, oftentimes I use the word cash register. You know, there's a reason when you walk into a grocery store, you walk past the grocery or cash registers because they want you to know where you're going to buy your stuff. If I walk into a grocery store and I've got my basket of whatever foods and I'm literally walking around going, I'm ready to leave. I, but I can't find, I can't find anybody to give my money to like, that's a pretty significant problem. So making it super clear what you want people to do, um, it makes, it makes a difference. And then, like I said, kind of removing that friction, probably, you know, those are listening. If you have a sales team, go talk to your sales team and figure out what questions are being asked, um, for, of the sales team. So when prospects are coming in, mm -hmm. most of the time I've found that either sales or customer success or customer service, people have all the answers of where people get stuck. Um, and that's a great spot to start kind of uncovering those stuck places. <laughs> all right. So it's time now for us to get to know how we can get in contact with Tyler. So those of you that are listening, you need to go and grab your pencil and paper so you can write down the information that I will read to you for his website. If you are watching, you can go ahead and grab a screenshot. We have the website is www.loanfircreative.com. That's L-O-N-E-F-I-R-C-R-E-A-T-I-V-E.com loanfur.com. He is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, just by looking up his name. That's Tyler, T-Y-L-E-R-P-I-G-O-T-T, -T, Tyler Pigot. And he is on YouTube and you can just search for Tyler for YouTube. They give you some ridiculous long thing <laughs> just <laughs> search for his channel on youtube also yeah. um tyler anything that they can find on your website that would be um helpful for them going forward yeah if people want to check out so if you find me on linkedin my profile has to join my newsletter i try to send out every other week kind of some current learnings things i'm learning about running an organization leadership team management marketing branding entrepreneurship um so that's like a thing that is helpful on um, my personal website, which you can also find on LinkedIn, it's tylerpygett.com. Um, I've got like a get out of your own way e-course that's free. Um, and it's kind of a five series, just, hey, what are the things that oftentimes entrepreneurs struggle mm -hmm. with that they should get out of their own way? So maybe check that out. Well, it's been wonderful having you here today. I uh, see that we have two new podcasts that we're going to need to do, one on branding, one on marketing. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And uh, so it's been wonderful. I hope everybody uh, took down notes and on, on the great tips that he gave you, great information um, about vision and your business goals and being able to really um, think about your branding and um, making your messages clear and concise and not complicated. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me, Vicki. It's been That's fun. Awesome. And as always, I remind everyone that until next time, remember that life is a journey and it is up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Nettling signing off. Mm -hmm.
Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling, where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.